You're listening to Never Sleeps Network. This episode of Speech Bubble is sponsored by Harry Tarantula. Harry Tarantula still has all your Star Wars miniatures, all your comic books, and all your Magic the Gathering tournaments every day of the week. But now, they're making it easier for wheelchair users to come into their store because they're building an accessible washroom. This one hits home for me, you guys. I'm a person who uses a mobility scooter, and it's just easier for me to use the washroom when it's accessible. And there's a lot of comic shops, even in downtown Toronto, that don't have accessible washrooms. So I'm very proud to announce that uh, Harry Tarantula is doing what they need to do to move the needle forward and make their place more accessible for everyone. They're also building a cafe. Uh, this has been a really uh, successful thing around Toronto, marrying uh, coffee with comics, and uh, Harry Tarantula is following suit. So come on down to 3456 Young Street, show them your support, and tell them Aaron sent you. You're listening to Speech Bubble, the podcast that goes one-on-one with Toronto's comic book luminaries. Here's your host, Aaron Broverman. Godspeed, old chum. Hey, fam people. Welcome to another episode of Speech Bubble. I am your host, Aaron Broverman. You found us on Never Sleeps Network at NeverSleepsNetwork.com. We're also on social media everywhere at Speech Bubble Pod. Don't forget to uh, review our show. Uh, if you give us a review on Apple Podcast, I will send you a comic from my personal collection. It will be random, but I'll try to send you a good one. Uh, with me today, we have Kegan McLeod. Kegan is one of the founders of the Raid Studio, uh, one of the prominent uh, studios for comic artists in Toronto. We've had a bunch of uh, the Raid members on before, uh, but we haven't had Kegan. This is the first time. You might know him from his work on Captara. It was an image book that he did with Chip Zdarsky. Uh, he's also worked for like every prominent magazine you can think of, you know, all kinds of things, doing illustrations and that sort of thing. His magnum opus, I would say, is Infinite Kung Fu, which is sort of this amazing, uh, you know, kung fu masterpiece, sort of with Western influences and horror influences, a lot of Shaw Brothers movies and that sort of thing. Uh, at one time, he did a really uh, sort of underground famous hip-hop poster that a lot of uh, prominent uh, hip-hop artists got to see and were very thrilled about. Uh, but his new book is called Draw People Every Day. Uh, I don't know if you know this, but Kegan teaches a life-drawing class in town in Toronto. A lot of the people we've had on our show uh, our uh, students of his, they attend his uh, life drawing class. And so he did a book sort of based on, you know, what he's learned and some of the techniques uh, from his life drawing class, Draw People Every Day. It's from our good friends at uh, Penguin Random House. Please welcome Kegan McLeod. Thanks for having me. That was a great intro. Uh, so, you're welcome. You're I, welcome. Did you ever watch The Highlander as a kid? 
No, but people uh, often come up to me and, and say uh, Kagan McLeod of the Clan McLeod. And uh, I know that's from that. Right. There can be only one, right? <laughs> anyway, uh, so where did you grow up? What was your early life like? Early life? Uh, Windsor, Ontario. Um, it was good. It was... Uh, <laughs> um, I, I read a lot of Mad Magazines, and that's kind of where, where I... St- I mean, I always was into art, but I think uh, uh, Mad Magazine kind of informed my my drawing and, and, and got me hooked on it. Like Al Jaffe and Jack Davis and those sorts of, those sorts yeah, of people? Yeah, yeah. Nice. More Trucker. Jack Davis were my favorite. Okay. And um, yeah, yeah. I think that that was... Uh, and, and for my sense of humor, too, I, I think, in, in many ways. Nice. <laughs> nice. Well, we already have a lot in common because uh, one of the first uh, things that got me into comics was mad. And also, uh, my stepfather grew up in Windsor, Ontario, so I know it well. I was sad when Tunnel Barbecue closed. <laughs> Maybe I was one of the only people, but uh, that was a prominent restaurant when we used to go there. Uh-huh. So, uh, so yeah, Windsor, Windsor's okay. Windsor's a good, good place. Yeah, 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 very good. Totally. So did you collect comics as a kid? I did. Um, I think the first thing I did was um, I collected um, Marvel, what are they called? Trading cards. Um, oh, yeah, yeah, 1990. In the series. 90s, yeah, they were like and these painted trading cards and stuff, yeah. No, maybe it was before that. The, okay. And, and, then, and then in the next few years, they did the Marvel masterpieces. Right, that's I started to collect the, uh, the cards, and then I, you know, checked out a few issues of every, you know, hero that I thought looked interesting. And, uh, you know, I guess Spider-Man was my favorite for most of the, the time. I, I read Spectacular Spider-Man back then. And, um, yeah, yeah, that's early 90s. Nice. What was the comic scene like uh, in Windsor? Like, where, where do you go? Where do you hang out? Where do, you, where do you get your comics and stuff? There was a place called Border City Comics. I think it's still, um, it's still open um, somewhere. I'm not sure. But I used to go there. And, actually, I remember in high school, um, I was... I did a comic with my friend uh, Ben Brandis. We we kind of did it in art class, and it was um, basically this is before the the movie Osmosis Jones, but that was kind of the the concept. A um, uh, you know um, bacteria ridden human with and and the story of a whole bunch of germs inside of him <laughs> that's that trope seems to be in a lot of things like magic school bus there's another comic out now that's produced by another person we've had on the podcast daniel brody called morgan's organs where like oh. the organs have individual personalities and their characters and they have to <laughs> deal with problems like you know their person getting drunk or swallowing something he shouldn't or that sort of thing yeah it's interesting yeah, yeah it was like that yeah, yeah, lots yeah. of um gross out stuff and uh bodily functions mm-hmm. um but my my dad um works in design and um he i don't know if you know Prenny press but the printing company they do print a lot of comics i think mark la liberté talked about that because yeah. i think he grew up in that area and he uh, he went there because he thought he could break into comics, uh, you know, cut out the middleman, so to speak, and get 
comics from the printer, right? Like they mm-hmm. were like a prominent printer of some of the mainstream comics, weren't yeah, they? They were, yeah. yeah. So um, I was able to, because I had a connection through my dad with the printer, like me and my friend put up, I think, 500 bucks. This is before digital printing. And they did 500 copies, I think, on the back of the plates of a, of a real comic book. So they, they didn't um, use the, uh, whatever, the metal plates that you, you do the ink with. Um, and we got a, to, uh, like a real comic book a few copies to sell around town that's awesome and it, like like an actual actual floppy yeah. like a marvel comic or your own oh it was self-published okay um but it looked real yeah cool and you know everyone it was was supportive and 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 sold it or tried to sell it but you know it doesn't sell when you're 16 and um <laughs> <laughs> well i don't know some people have been really good at selling comics on the street like i used to know a guy named sean ward who used to sell his comics on the street all the time yeah he's the king of selling it, comics yeah, 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 yeah totally um he's the guy that i mean because he, he's such a good salesman you don't want to sit next to him at a, at a comic convention because right. he uh <laughs> he pulls everyone in right totally so so that's kind of cool you got your own comic you're hanging out in windsor that kind of thing what attracted you to comics as a medium? Why did you get into them? Um, well, drawing and storytelling, really. So that's kind of like the the main thing. Um, you can do it all on your own. I, uh, um, you know, there was a little, a, a brief little stint where I wanted to be an animator, but um, uh, I got into illustration because, uh, I don't know, maybe it's, and an, an animation, you you need a big team of hundreds of people, and you get to do a little tiny portion of a huge project. And with illustration and with comics, you're doing all of it, or uh, at least half of it. And you like you like building worlds and that sort of thing. And I can do it all myself, kind of thing, right? Yeah, I'm not I'm not like um. Well, yeah, I guess. I'm not like I don't want to share um, any uh, responsibilities or anything like that, but it's fun to just, oh, you know what? Here, this is what I'm, I'm thinking. Uh, in college uh, with some friends, we used to do a, um, a jam comic where you kind of pass it around. And, and that was fun because, um, uh, you know, you kind of get inspired by each other and, um, uh, you know, we want to one-up someone and take a story in, in a different direction and, right. and things like that. And, uh, a lot of artists I'm still friends with, uh, we, we did these jam comics where we just pass them around and r- do this long story. But, um, you know, it's always hard when it does the story doesn't go the way you were thinking and the, and you're kind of like, oh, huh. Yeah, that, like, <laughs> pe- people still do that at the Toronto Comic Jam. I think, yeah. I think it's the ba- in the back of... Uh, yeah, I'd like to go back. Yeah, I haven't yeah. been in a while. It's pretty cool. It's still happening. I think it's like the last Tuesday of every month or something. Uh, but yeah, that's awesome. Uh, in terms of getting going from like a fan to somebody who wanted to like break into doing comics and doing illustration, how did that happen? What clicked for you in terms of like I want to do this for a living? Uh, going to Fan Expo um, in the probably around two thousand two thousand one. And I, I just, I had never done that before, and I, and I uh, saw the Artist Alley was uh, regular people, and uh, it was seemed very attainable. Uh, so I just thought, well, next year I'm going to have a comic, and I'll sell it in Artist Alley. And um, that's what I did. Uh, I, I By then, I had 
uh, graduated from college. So um, me and my friends who did the jam comics, um, uh, we were finished with that. And I kind of took some of the similar ideas that I, uh, this is the Kung Fu um, comic, Infinite Kung Fu kind of started then. So that the first issue of that was what I did um, for Fan Expo the next year after the first time I went. Nice. And that had a lot of influences from like, you know, Golden Harvest and like Shaw Brothers type kung fu movies and, you know, 70s kung fu and that sort of thing. Tell me about that. Like, what's your relationship with those movies and that genre? How did you get exposed to that? Yeah, that's just like, I guess that was the time that I had uh, discovered that genre, Chinese uh, cinema and um hong kong cinema and i it was just so new and and so so different even though it was you know late 70s early 80s was the period where all the the cool stuff came out for me anyways and um it just seemed like a new a, a, a totally new set of rules like um it's not like superheroes they're superhero characters but they can't uh, fly they can just kind of jump a little bit higher than everyone else and and take a little bit more pain but they're they're real you know but but then there's sometimes you know there could be lasers or kung fu harnessing your your energy and hard work to get more superpowers i, I just thought it was was cool a little bit more grounded in reality than um superhero stuff and uh, stylistically it sort of mimics sort of like a Chinese calligraphy, like sort of harkens back to like, uh, it seems like watercolor painting of, of that era or that region from that time, like feudal Japan type of thing. Did you, did you do that kind of thing on purpose? Did you have to change your original drawing style very much to try to mimic something? Um, I did, and that's kind of a, a, a long process where I started doing digital work um, to, to kind of, because that's what I was doing at work. I, I, I had worked at a, a newspaper in the graphics department, so I was doing a lot of digital stuff. and But the drawings were kind of digital looking and, and not a lot of life to them, and they actually took a long time. So I started working with ink because it's traditional and faster. And it wasn't very good, but I got better. And it just, uh, you know, thematically seemed like a like a uh, perfect fit to get influenced by um, Eastern kind of drawing. Um, not, and I don't mean like manga. I mean like, um, yeah, scroll painting and traditional calligraphy and stuff like that. So I eventually kind of worked worked it in there as I got better. Nice. So where did you go to school uh, originally? Like, when when did you go to college, and where did, where did you go? Sheridan College in. Uh, uh, class of 99 nice nice so and then from there that's when you got hired at the at the newspaper yes i okay. did an internship while i was in school and uh, uh a, a spot opened up and that was good because um that kind of kick-started my career i always I, I, in school i wanted to be an illustrator and do work for magazines and newspapers um, and even though I was doing stock charts and locator maps and um, kind of I would have said boring work grunt work um, it was still kind of artistic and I would get a published illustration every week so right. at least I had I had that going 
And this was the National Post, wasn't it? Yeah. Awesome, awesome. So I can already kind of see the connections because uh, you and Chip worked together, Chip Zdarsky, at the National Post at some point, didn't you? Yeah, I um, I think he, the next year, actually Chip and I were in the same year of uh, school, and then he um, had to take a year off, and then he came back the year after me. So when I was already working at National Post, he applied for an internship, and uh, uh, um, I got him in there to, to work with us and um yeah yeah so I'm, i kind of got to be friends with him uh around that time nice nice that's awesome so you're you're working at the national post at the same time that you're doing infinite kung fu yes uh it was that's my day job and um i'm using my first time having a a full-time uh job uh to, and and no kind of real um expenses other than uh rent to to kind of put um some money towards comics as a as a self-publishing venture nice, nice. and i didn't do um the printy print um offset printing I, I i did the digital printing for the first few um issues and it really looked um it didn't look great the uh the, the printing but um i think i sold some at Wizard World in Chicago, and somebody from uh, the now defunct Wizard magazine uh, picked it up and was going to do a spotlight on the comic. um, Like I think it was called Secret Stash, like an indie buzz. Yeah, yeah, I remember that column. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. Um, So then I kind of panicked, like, oh no, now it's going to be in. in in Wizard magazine, and I only printed three hundred copies of this, so um, I quickly uh, created a, a publishing company because you can't solicit in Diamond unless you're a publisher. You can't be just a, a nobody. So I had to come up with a company name, and I did it as a joke: uh, the Great Lakes Ninja Brotherhood. Um, and we fits did... the book. <laughs> fits the book for sure. Uh, all, all of our company names were jokes and it, it, so was, uh, Raid, the, uh, Royal Academy of Illustration and Design, but that, that's getting ahead, I guess. Yeah, yeah, totally. <laughs> I, I, we'll get there. We'll get there. Don't worry. So, so it gets in Wizard Magazine, doesn't it? Yeah. Okay. And, and does it blow up like you expected it to? Um, I wouldn't say blow up. Okay. I, I guess I had, um, I, I, I met, um, hmm. Uh, Harry Tarantula, um, who's the, I forget his name, Mark, the guy who does uh, Thieves and Kings? Uh, Does that that ring a bell? uh, Not sure. Oh, I feel bad that I can't remember. Okay. But he, so he was an an independent um, comic artist um, who did, um, uh, you know, I think he sold 2,500 books a month. And uh, that was like a good kind of benchmark for me uh, to kind of think about. Um, and I got the comics offset printed. Um, and it was, I don't know what the d- issue with, is with uh, Diamond Comics now, but, um, uh, you know, the comics were $3 around American back then. And, um, you know, Diamond takes a dollar and... Uh, uh, the printer costs it costs about a dollar to make a few thousand comic books, so you only 
are really hoping to get a dollar out of each unit. Right. And you also have to pay to ship the books to the distributor. So it was a a yeah. lose 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 and, situation. And, and the and the shops get something. And oh yeah, the shops that. as well. Yeah, 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 totally. I knew I was forgetting one piece of the puzzle. Yeah, yeah. But so. uh, yeah, I printed it and shipped them off to Diamond. And I think we I did um, after the the uh, Wizard article came out, maybe two thousand copies um, uh, for the first issue. And you know that was good because I was a nobody out of nowhere. So um, uh, I, I was good. Um, and I did maybe seven issues like that every maybe three or four a year and um but the orders kind of go down once you start getting off that schedule so um right like you you were taking your time to like to do it or you couldn't get it into diamond when you needed to like what do you mean by off that schedule um yeah i guess you I guess so. I guess I didn't really have a, a, a strict schedule, but if it's not, I didn't really realize if it's not regular, coming out regularly, then readers kind of lose interest. Oh, uh, like if it's not a monthly book, for example. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I was new to it all. So I just kind of let it sit, I guess, um, after issue seven, because um, orders were going down. And, um, but I, I met people at Top Shelf uh, at a comic convention and... Uh, they, I gave them comics, and they f- finally read them months later, and uh, we agreed to do the thing as a, a graphic novel. And it's huge. Like I remember going to like when when the graphic novel launched. Uh, you know, Infinite Kung Fu had already had a lot of buzz in Toronto, particularly, uh, and a lot of like r- support, grassroots support. Uh, a lot of prominent people were fans in the comic uh in the comic scene and outside of it too like the film scene and that sort of thing uh and uh, but it was never finished and you you finished it in a graphic novel form right like like for a while it was like only the issues and then finally the graphic novel came out and then and then you finished it right like that was the whole idea that's correct yep mm-hmm. and i recently i reread it uh uh, with my kids see what they they think i'm a weirdo i guess because there's a lot of gross stuff in there um you know centipede um uh you know crawling out of skulls and stuff like that but um they enjoyed it mm-hmm. um but anyways i i think um you know the first part which i did in the issues is kind of world building and setting setting it up but then then the the stuff that i did for the the end of it um I think that's where it really picks up and and becomes more fun, and and, and I still like it. It's kind of uh, genre bending, as I mentioned off the top. So for those who've never heard of Infinite Kung Fu, what's sort of your your elevator pitch? What's it about uh, for people listening? Hmm. Well, I mean, I I always say it's like mainly um, kind of the tone of uh, of early Shaw Brothers movies and. And uh, you know, dubbed VHS kind of um, uh, kung fu, but I've I've added uh, I really like Asian horror too. There's little emit, um, elements of that, um, you know, a big epic quest and and uh, horror and kung fu. Wow, that's awesome! <laughs> and and there's like there's like Western elements too, and like uh it's kind of comedic in some places also yeah so that's kind of cool uh i i was talking to uh, our sponsor harry tarantula this morning i was talking to leon and he said 
that uh, you gave him a little shout out in there. There's like a Harry Tarantula style of, of Kung Fu at, at some point in the <laughs> I book. <think> so. <laughs> so, yeah, because he said you used to do like uh, ads for him for Anime North. So back in the back in the day. yeah yeah he was a good a good uh, supporter yeah, yeah there's yeah. always um uh awkward in those I don't know if people still do it you don't really need to do it with the with the internet you can kind of test the market and uh, see what what people will like right whereas in those days you'd have to go and bring your little self published comic into a comic store and then check back in a few weeks sheepishly and see if any sold and uh, if they did you were good but if not uh uh. You had to act like you were looking for something else. Wow. Yeah, exactly. It's like, oh, I don't. I'm embarrassing. Um, you you are obviously, in addition to being uh, a comic fan, you're a you're a huge film fan. Like we we just named off a whole bunch of you know genres of film, and I know that like uh, the Toronto International Film Festival had been a big big supporter of yours and the programmers and that sort of thing. Uh, what got you into film? What attracted you to the to the sort of movies that you like mm. um i don't know what got me in i guess like like i said with the kung fu is just it was different it was something that was like a whole new set of rules um and you know uh just that 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 wasn't used to in the west i guess um and asian horror was the same way Totally, yeah. yeah. A lot of the similarities with, um, uh, I guess they're called black magic movies, um, uh, where you might hire a black magician to um, give you a, a love spell to fall in love with someone, and it works out, but but also something bad happens to you because uh, there's always a catch, right? And it's kind of Shakespearean. Um, the curse. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, they're always kind of gross out, and... Um, you know, I guess uh, I, I went and watched um, some of the ones at, um, you know, um, Kung Fu Fridays this year, and it's fun to watch them at, at this age. Um, you know, I, I I was much more into it in my in my 20s than I am now, but uh, it's still fun to kind of revisit them. Yeah, I remember being at the launch for Infinite Kung Fu, and there was sort of Shaw Brothers Kung Fu movies playing, but then there was also like a DJ sort of scratching in the background, and there was like there was like this hip hop flavor, so that the fighting sort of moved to sort of a hip hop beat kind of thing. It reminded me. Did you ever watch Kung Fu when it was on? Oh, actually, I did uh, some of the uh, drawings for that uh, DVD release. Nice. Um, uh, on the backs of the DVDs, I think, and on some of the ads on the DVDs, uh, I've got some artwork. Um, so yeah, yeah, that show was, was great. It's kind of hip hop and and kung fu. And the people that you're talking about that I had for the launch were called Hop Fu, and they do kind of a, a live uh, score to old kung fu movies. And I, I thought it was perfect for for the launch. And and I brought them out and. It was so cool. I didn't really realize that the book launch crowd is like, you know, come uh, get the book signed and go home. I, I was, I was like, well, but we got some good entertainment. I think it kind of crowd kind of thinned out, but uh, I feel like I stayed for the entertainment a little <laughs> bit. But yeah, it was, a, it was uh, awesome. Yeah. I think there's a little, there might be a little clip on YouTube if you Google um, 
infinite kung fu hop fu or something like that yeah it was it was really awesome like you just it's like kind of like wu-tang clan beats underneath the fighting of the of the kung fu it really uh, accentuated the like punches and the kicks and and that sort of thing that was happening it was it was it was really amazing uh, i always remember it Good. um you're also kind of a hip-hop head right definitely yeah so let's talk about that like you did this really uh prominent poster and now that i'm seeing like ed piscor get all these accolades for uh hip-hop family tree i'm like i feel like kegan mcleod did this a little bit before on this poster that you that you had right sure um i um what did uh, uh, a friend had a record store in the annex and uh we he sold my comics there and um i he wanted some artwork for the sh the shop and i just kind of did that poster for the shop and but it 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 did people were really into it so i i did a more complete version um and if you know if you haven't seen it it's like a just a bunch of portraits about 500 portraits of rappers in chronological order with uh, some biography stuff on the back um but it was a nerdy thing and, and yeah it was cool and i i love ed piscor for sure i love ed piscor as well i just feel like you're sort of one of the forefathers of what he's trying to do at least in at least in comics when when he first was doing it i think on uh, boing boing he he uh messaged me and and to show me it and um I was really, my first thought was, oh, I, I wanted to do that. But then my second thought was, I, I, I wouldn't go that deep because he's, he's the man for the job. He's like so um, thorough. <laughs> uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, and I'm glad he, he did it. Since the hip-hop artists were in chronologi chronological order on the poster, was there some debate in places as far as who came first? And how did you make those decisions of like, whether you know this person came before this person or that kind of thing um well i mean i i i you know did a lot of reading and and uh just kind of what i remember from um when the, this stuff was coming out uh you know when i was old enough i guess but i had to do more research for the you know early 80s stuff but um you know, there's there's definitely oversights because I didn't live through uh, a lot of it or, you know, in New York or anything that uh, people that were more prominent than I thought they were or, you know, just people that I left off that, ooh, I can't believe I forgot that one. Um, but it's pretty complete. Right. And yeah. I left off all DJs unless they, they rapped just, just to keep it simple. And I think some, some people uh, thought that was... Uh, contentious i think you can still get it at the beguiling yeah in toronto they still have copies of it uh pick it up if you can uh there was a point where it looked like you were going on tour because all of these rap artists were signing your poster and you were like <laughs> taking pictures with them and stuff how tell me about that experience of meeting some of the people like who did you meet do you have any anecdotes from from that time sure yeah well i met um uh a friend who became a friend, uh, Elise Feldman, who was a uh, a publicist and had a lot of connections with a lot of um, old school, um, you know, the rappers that I that I like, and uh, she was really into the poster and kind of hooked it up to um, uh, meet a bunch of them. Um, 
and I met a photographer in so a lot of the the rappers I I did get to meet and 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 show the poster, but um, a lot of them were this photographer um, um, named X Man, and he would take the poster around and get it uh, get it signed by different rappers. So I I didn't meet everyone. And I kind of like that because uh, some of the the I didn't really anticipate that when I drew the portraiture. Some some of them look uh, a little bit goofy, uh, <laughs> and uh, I didn't. Uh, some of them don't like their portrait either. <laughs> oh really? Who doesn't like their portrait? Did anyone like send you hate or something? Well, no, no, no. Uh, well, I, I met this this rapper Dana Dane, and and I had never really like. I, I guess I didn't know what he looked like that 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 well because when and I. I showed him. He's like, why did, why didn't you put me with the Kangol on? Because I always, always wear a Kangol. And I was like, oh, I don't know. Uh, and it's <laughs> like, I guess I found the one photo to use for reference that uh, he didn't wear a hat, and uh, it was a big faux pas. Uh, who was your favorite rapper to meet? Who who loved the poster the most? Mm, favorite rapper to meet? Yeah, for you. Um, as the hip hop head that you are. Oh, he, see, you know what? I I I prefer like uh, the the um, people who are kind of forgotten, and they they are just like humbled to be remembered. I guess L- lay it on me. I feel who like are these that's people? cool. Um, there's well, there's a, a girl named Lynn Q who was from X Clan, and she, and her old name was Isis before. Um, that has bad associations, I guess. But um, you know, she emailed me when uh, when after she saw it. Um, uh, a lot of times, I just get emails from 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 people who who have seen it. Right. Um, e Don is probably my current favorite rapper. I, I I'm connected with him through through that poster. Mm. Um, you know, and probably the biggest ones that that. Have a copy are Busta Rhymes and Ice T and Jay Z. Uh, uh, you know, I don't really know what they think about it, but uh, you've been told Riza Riza has one. Nice, <laughs> nice, and like Riza's like that's that whole crossover again. It's like the hip hop kung fu kind of thing there too. Yeah, so that's cool, man. You're you're all over the place. You're you're sp- you spread out. If people don't know you personally, they know your work for sure. Um, let's get back to, uh, you know, while this is happening and you're making this poster, you're making infinite Kung Fu, when does raid come into the picture? Uh, how did the founding of raid happen? I mean, I've heard this story, but from some of the other founders, oh, but so I want to, I want to hear it, it uh, corroborate. Yeah. I want to hear <laughs> it from your perspective. Um, well, I, you know what? Well, I think one of the main differences, uh, they, uh, they would all say that, uh, they were all working from home and hated it. Um, I didn't hate working from home. It was okay. Uh, but I want to, it was good to, to, um, hang out with, with friends too. Um, I guess, um, you know, when you're in college, if you're in college right now, art school or anything like that, you kind of have this, uh, you're learning from your teachers, but you also have this, uh, friendly competition with your other students and you have like other people to go face to face with and and show your your work to and and kind of keeps you on your toes I guess and then when you graduate that all goes away um 
Except for on the digital world, I guess, which is, you know, maybe not the same. No, it's not the same. Um, so I, I think that was more it. It was like we wanted to have a, a network of, of um, to get that kind of inspiration from each other. Um, and um, I knew uh, Chip and Ben uh, from working at the National Post, Ben yeah. Shannon, who yeah. works at uh, the CBC now uh in the in the graphics department yeah and um uh we met cameron uh because he was uh in the neighborhood and he was a up-and-coming comic artist too yeah cameron stewart man uh if you haven't heard of him look him up i mean he's pretty he's pretty prominent these days uh i heard that like Chip met him on a dating site or something, or there was some sort of story around that. I think I was married, so I I don't know um uh I don't know anything about that, but um yeah, me lava life maybe I don't know yeah something. But um we all met at the Monarch Tavern, and I lived in that neighborhood, and secretly I was looking for um, studio space. Um, close to my ho- house, so I would have to w- walk uh, the least far. Right. <laughs> and Cameron was only a f- few bo- blocks away from me, so it, it made sense. Yeah. Um, and we, we found a, a great place that, uh, that the Raid studio uh, was in for until just recently. So. Yeah, they just moved, uh, the, and they got big plans. They've got they got a whole bunch of stuff that they that they want to do. They they got. The book, I mean, you guys started the Raid Anthology in a way because you guys released a Battle Royale, right? That was that was a thing Yeah. that came out, out of Raid with all the Raid members contributing, even the the lesser known ones, I guess. Yeah. Uh, tell me about that. Like, how did you uh, cope with the idea for, like, the anthology and stuff? Um, I think we had gone... Or... or I don't know if I had been to San Diego Comic Con or if uh, if just Cameron had been and and uh, you know coming back and telling tales of how great it was and how how much money there there was to be made at uh, uh, you know in Artist Alley and um, uh, so we really uh, yeah wanted to do something together and kind of pool resources and um, you know all get movie deals and come back. Uh, to great fanfare <laughs> um and anyway you can flash forward to me and chip uh uh shoveling them all into a dumpster uh years later <laughs> <laughs> i actually i i actually got one for free from chris butcher uh during chip's ZadarsCon. uh he was like aaron you should you should read this this is the last copy I think in existence, he said. Of oh, that's the battle right. of the battle royale, rumble royale, or R- rumble it. royale. Very close. Sorry. Um, um, yes. Uh, no, no. I think I think we just overshot the uh, the printing qu- quantity mm-hmm. uh, of it. So, um, and then we had stored, uh, you know, a couple thousand copies in the basement of the uh, of the raid studio for like 10 years until the landlord finally said what is this stash 
<laughs> made us throw decide what to do with it. Yeah. They're, 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 they are still around. You can you can find them sort of in the I guess consignment pile at a lot of local at a lot of local stores and stuff. Well, my my contribution to that book um, ended up being the kind of uh, uh, what do you call it? Not prelude in a book preface to. Uh, infinite kung fu and it's included in the graphic novel so yeah so, um, uh, and this was while you were doing infinite kung fu or just before yeah i use the whole thing as a cross prom- promotional uh tool nice nice <laughs> yeah it's like a little preview of of infinite kung fu like a, like a like a preface like you were saying it's awesome um that that's really cool are are you how do you feel about what raid has become at this point like when did you guys you know kind of get out of it when did it sort of pass on to Ramon and and what do you think of it now? Oh, I think it's great. Um, I'm I'm happy that that they're um, still doing it, and and I don't really um, you know, um, think of it as a a big deal that I I um, you know, had anything to do with it other than coming up with the funny name. Um, but well, I just think it, it it's uh, great that 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 it's still going. Um with with Ramon and, and he he's a he's a great guy. Um I I guess what it is is I was the first to buy a house and uh to save money and it was on the other side of town in the east side so I was the first to go and uh I guess Ben went second then Chip and uh and Ramon came in at some point. Ramon and Chip worked together for a while. Yeah, with Cameron. Yeah, I think I think Ramon was like a member, and 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 he, he it got passed passed on. I don't I don't want to say like passed down or whatever. But mm-hmm. No, we didn't have like yeah. bank accounts or yeah. uh, trademarks or anything like that. Yeah. Really, we only came up with the name because we needed to have something on the uh, on the lobby right. uh, door. Yeah, but it was cool. Like at the time you were there, like what was the atmosphere? Just go there and draw and do your stuff, like it is now. The atmosphere was a uh, uh, scent of stale coffee that my uh, wife uh, didn't like when I got home. Um, it was kind of like a hoarder's uh, <laughs> um, paradise. Um, uh, ben Shannon had uh synthesizers and musical instruments everywhere um so it was kind of his art studio studio slash music studio and um uh but it was it was good we'd bounce some um, uh you know drawings off each other and uh, uh i was still working at the national post part-time so i was kind of sometimes in the studio sometimes uh in the news newsroom part-time because you were doing other things and drawing well once my i um, i you know through the national post i started getting more illustration work because i i started meeting more um you know it's easier to have get work once people see your stuff published right so once i started getting published i started getting more work and um you know doing more stuff that i i wanted to do and then i would kind of I didn't quite want to quit the job. So I went down to three days a week and two days a week, then one day a week, and I let go ever so slowly. Nice. <laughs> What's well, nice to be busy, man. It's really it's really good to be busy. 
because uh, like you're yeah you're in like every magazine like like name off some of the magazines that you that you've worked for in terms of illustration oh i mean i definitely most of them i think it's easier to say that i i haven't worked for um rolling stone or new yorker or vogue but pretty much the rest i i i would say i have and were you or were you not i'm not sure i haven't i have not i wouldn't say the rest i've never done anything for um varmint master um which i'm not sure if it's still publishing but uh you know yeah (laughs) hilarious so were you (laughs) at any point i i thought you were like the you were like the courtroom illustrator for the gian gameshi trial is that true or not yeah that's true what was that experience like um i i i i like doing uh courtroom stuff uh because i'm um you know decent at uh figure drawing and um drawing under pressure um but um i i guess the national post would usually get um wire um art from 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 courtroom stuff unless it was a big big case so um some of the ones i did were, were the uh uh you know, uh, I guess the the Eaton Center shooting, and um, the Toronto eighteen terrorist um, big arrest. That, that I don't know if you remember yeah, yeah, that yeah, one. Yeah, yeah. Um, I was around. And um, uh, oh, this horrific uh, killer from Belleville. Uh, the 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 Colonel. Oh yeah 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 yeah. He lived near Tweed, sort of thing. Yeah. So yeah. I mean. I for all those cases and Gomeshi, you're kind of like I'll just go and do my job. But I I was not prepared for, uh, you know, any of them in different ways. One in the uh, Toronto 18, there was you know very um, snipers on the roof and um, uh, scrums like uh, reporters running around in big uh, 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 you know aggressive um bunches piles yeah and and they only let so many people into the room so you have to be very aggressive to get in and there's there's family and friends of the of the um arrested who who are very mad that there's so many reporters there so it's like i'm just kind of trying to do my job but you have to have a certain personality which i don't think i do um anyways I, I that one worked out okay, but um, How, what was your strategy for getting in? Like elbows oh. or or what? <laughs> no, I had to um, uh, just you know buddy up with a with a reporter who who knew the ins and outs more than I did because I was a little bit more timid, um, and you know the Colonel Williams case that was kind of like i just expected to draw a guy but i had to go through his um sit through court and and uh, go through his photo albums which were uh scarring oh man and um but and i also went to chicago and and did conrad black's uh trial um which was less uh that was you know less intense (laughs) (laughs) wow and then, and then Gomeshi, like that was like the biggest case at the time, at the time, right? Like, like, you know, it was sort of, sort of like Me Too before Me Too happened yeah, yeah, in the U.S., right. you know? Yeah. 
Um, I think some of the biggest drama there happened outside City Hall because there was some, oh, I don't know. There was some kind of altercation out front. Nothing to do with the case, but like, uh, you know, somebody said they had a gun and, and a reporter actually wrestled him down to the ground and, um, you know, just things that uh, you're, you're not counting on when you go to work. So how do you maintain yourself mentally? Like you probably have, you have to sit through court, you have to see a lot of horrific things. The photo album you mentioned, how do you stay level? I mean, you're a pretty level guy right now, but like, how do you make sure that that stuff doesn't like permanently imprint on you? Um, well, I don't do it very often, first of all. So I guess, um, you know, I, 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 how do I stay level? I mean, it, I, I'm working, so I kind of get in the zone, and then once in a while, um, you might snap out of it. But you can just kind of busy myself, busy myself with uh, with drawing, and trying. I like to bring watercolor and ink, and uh, trying very carefully not to spill ink on the on the in the courtroom. It's good to concentrate <laughs> on something else, right? Yes. Um. What. How, like what's the technique for court drawing like do you have to draw fast are you like the stenographer yes. equivalent of a drawer or yeah. like i mean sometimes you might have all all day mm-hmm. um sometimes some artists bring ipads now and, and and draw on that i still like the old school um uh way but um you know it's only high pressure when sometimes it's just a court appearance so they're not actually sitting in court for any kind of hearing and, um, you know, so they might be there for two or three minutes. So that's when it's very stressful. And you got to get the guy. If you yeah. don't get the guy, what are we paying you for? Kind of thing. Exactly. Yeah. Is that. And sometimes when they are in court, they're facing the judge. So you're behind them and, and you're, you just, you know, drawing the back of someone's head. It's kind of, uh, pointless. Um, so those are, those are stressful, um, uh, things to do you ever think of like the responsibility because often the illustrator is like the only visual representation of what happens in a, in a courtroom because there's no video or anything allowed. Does that idea weigh on you at all when you're doing it? Like I'm the guy. Um, definitely when I, when it was one of those um, quick appearances where they're only there for two or three minutes and I really don't feel like I, I, I think I've done a, a generic human and I haven't captured anything to, um, that uh, really looks like them. I, I, I'm not happy with it when that happens. Right. Um, I don't know. It's kind of strange. It's strange that you can bring iPads in and draw with them, but you can't take a photo or you can live tweet the whole thing. You, uh, you just can't. You just have to draw it in terms of visual imagery. Oh, that's what I was going to say. I've never done this, but um, some of the other courtroom artists um, will have to, you know, do the art and then immediately go out to the uh, TV van and it'll be on TV, like, as soon as you get out of the courtroom. So that's kind of a different pressure that uh, wow. um, there's no time to um, dress it up yeah. after. <laughs> Maybe the video thing, it's like people people have like decided that like illustration is like a level of removal that we can handle. Yeah. Whereas like video is too visceral. Like, what do you think about that idea? Yeah. Yeah. Well, that, that, that makes sense. 
Mm-hmm. Um, I wonder if it'll change because, uh, yeah, images are so, you know, ubiquitous and easy to easy to come by. Right. I don't know. Yeah. I haven't thought about it too much. Interesting, man. It's it's an interesting it's an interesting job. You're one of the few people. You're the only person that's been on this podcast that does courtroom illustration. So I thought I'd uh, I'd ask you about it. Yeah. I wanted to ask you about, about uh, Captara. Uh, this is a comic that you and Chip did, published by Image. It started with, uh, you know, for a while, and then it just sort of petered out. Like, there was, uh, it sort of ended, but not, I don't think, when you intended to end it. What, what's the story of Keptara? How did you uh, decide to do it? How did you get involved in it? And then and then how did it uh, sort of end? Um, sure. Um I guess when when Chip's um, star was rising with um, sex criminals, um, we kind of th- he thought he wanted to do more writing, and um, you know he could still work on the art for um, with Matt Fraction and and write a couple books um, on the side. And since we were friends uh, uh, into comics, um, uh, we kind of just came up with something that um humorous that we would both want to draw or both want to work on right and um it it was really fun but but i guess how do i explain it it's definitely all my fault what happened um really (laughs) yes yeah um and i i Nothing like no, no blowouts between us. We're still great friends and everything. It was just um, that uh, same thing happened with Infinite Kung Fu. Much much bigger scale with uh, having the image logo on the book. We we sold much more than than I ever did uh, self publishing. But um, you know, a, a kind of a parallel story with a good um, issue one out of the gate, and then. Um, uh, order numbers just kind of go down and you know i'm not like a gambling or like kind of a back-end kind of person i just want to get paid up front and know what a job's gonna be i guess and i don't like to take risks in terms of like if it's successful you, there you might you know something might happen down the line or something like that i didn't really take into consideration that you have to do a lot of issues to kind of figure out your, um, to get an audience, you know, mm-hmm. get a readership. Yeah. And um, a lot of people wait for trades. Um, and you have to have a few trades to for it to really be worthwhile. I mean, that's all stuff that I feel like I know, but I, I kind of, um, I, I wasn't willing to gamble on i guess right so once the, the issue individual issues started um make, making less and less um uh unit sales um you know i guess at that time i just had lots of uh commercial illustration work um uh coming towards me and i i couldn't uh, I, I didn't want to turn it away and you can i if i say um, you lost your motivation as you saw the sales dwindle. Would that be accurate? Uh, yeah, and uh, and I, and I would have had to say no to other, um, you know, well-paying stuff that you would have got paid more for, probably. Yeah, 
Yeah. Well, I mean, again, like it's probably my fault that it, I would have gotten back ends, um, uh, you know, money if, from from trade sales and everything like that. But um, like I, I, you know, there was other opportunities for kind of one shot, you know, quick and easy. And that's the thing. Illustration's easy to me at this point, and comics are are hard. So it's right. easier to draw what somebody... What, it's easier to draw one thing than have to like lay out an entire page yeah, and do yeah. all that stuff. Yeah. Um, I guess, you know, uh, and then I would... It, 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 it's, it's such a demoralizing thing, but it's also rewarding. It's hard. I don't know. Has anyone else talked about this on this podcast? You spend, you know, all month drawing it and then, you know, or and inking it. And then um, I would ship it off to a, someone, who, Becca, who did the flats, flat coloring. And then I'd get it back and I'd have to do 20 more hours um, finalizing the, the colors. So I don't know how many hours it takes. Definitely a month or two per issue. And then someone would read it in less than 10 minutes, right? So it's like, oh, <laughs> I got to do it again now. Uh-huh. Um but then again, like I was saying earlier, like I, I feel like people um, react to stuff with a story and connect to it much, uh, you know, more deeply than they do with a, a, a single image that doesn't have a story attached to it. Um, basically, yeah, I get lots of mail from people who like Infinite Kung Fu or Captara, but I never get mail from people who like, a, you know, some picture. Unless it has to do with pop culture, like the rap poster, and then I I wonder, well, you know, I guess it's not all, it's not something I made. It's like that's the the uh, TV show you like or the the music artist. Does that make sense? I mean, yeah, you still do it well, but it sort of it sort of cheapens it for you in terms. It of, does. I, find a- it, I know I could I could be more popular if I did more fan art and stuff like that, but I I feel like it it's cheap but i mean you draw celebrities and stuff for like magazines oh yeah i'll do it i'll do it for money for sure (laughs) yeah 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 totally (laughs) i'm happy to i i I find it fun yeah and i'll i'll um i'll definitely do it do it for 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 a gig so basically it's like you know i guess there's more variation in illustration than there is comics like comics you're you're in that comic for a long time probably gets kind of boring and yeah i I do like about illustration kind of not really knowing what i'm working on next week yeah you know it's sometimes it's scary but um at this point i i know something will come up eventually because i'm uh you know i guess 20 years in yeah you're kicking mcleod for crying out loud (laughs) um but um so it's it's that's exciting and then when i when i you know have these big big projects on the table that are um uh you know seem to be never ending right uh, it's it's more like oh i don't want to do this anymore yeah i mean i i've talked to chip uh i think now um uh i sat on it for a few years just kind of not being ready because i i had uh, other work uh coming in and now, um, you know, I've still got work, but but I think the the you know magazine and newspaper industry is changing and has changed, and there's less illustration and less um, 
well, less magazines and newspapers, really. That's true. So I got a little more time. Nice. Uh, so just when the timing's right with uh, with Chip. Because he's busy right now. He's busy right now, yeah. He's got a lot of books on the go. I think nine or ten. Yeah. Um, that's a bit much. So, I mean, we're not going to leave um, uh, people hanging forever. We, I, I, I do want to wrap it up. So, okay. But um, it just has to, the stars have to fall in place. Nice. And you know what it is? Who I, why I don't want to leave it hanging? Um, we only had maybe three or four issues, and, and we did a signing somewhere in... Um, uh, ooh, on the East Coast, and somebody came in with a more motivational orb tattoo on their forearm, and this is a character from Captara who's an orb that that motivates you with um, uh, the right thing. He says the right thing at the right time. Right, exactly. <laughs> and uh, you know, so I feel the worst for this person who got the tattoo of a character for this book that I didn't finish. So uh, if you're listening. I'm gonna do it for you. That's awesome. <laughs> I wish we knew his. I wish we knew his or her name. Yeah, yeah. It was a. It was a guy or it was a, a girl. Oh, a girl. Okay. Uh, yeah. Like <laughs> I wish. I wish we could shout them out here for sure. Um, I really like the comic. It was sort of. I don't know. I don't know how to describe it. It's sort of like He-Man and the Masters of the Universe figures in like an interplanetary world kind of a thing yeah how would you describe it right well i mean with the original idea for infinite kung fu was to um have a whole bunch of different genres and kind of you know have a kung fu town then maybe we can visit a uh uh you know a, a funky uh 70s exploitation town uh and then um, you know have different types of genres and then i i realized that that unless i'm just gonna reel it in and stick with um with kung fu and a little bit of uh yeah of uh exploitation stuff right and with captara it was going to be like the uh the toy box of uh you know 80s nostalgia kind of things um you know planets based on different toy lines um uh chip said it was like if you, you used to play with you know, a whole bunch of toys from, uh, you know, My Little Pony together with G.I. Joe and, and He-Man and make up some kind of weird game. Um, it was going to be like something like that. But we just found that, that He-Man uh, was was so fun, kind of like um, slightly homoerotic um, barbarian animal men that were very just, I don't know, it was it was ripe for comedy definitely was <laughs> and the main character uh is gay yes 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 so so that was cool that was that was a different thing than you normally see in uh comics yeah uh, yeah yeah or yeah usually it's um a friend or something like that so right that's, so that's what was was chip's idea to to give it a make him the lead nice that's awesome man and now uh you know at least until the stars align and captara comes back uh, I hear about you because you're you're running this this life drawing uh, group, uh, and you you published a book out of that called "The Draw People Every Day." Yeah, um, I met um, somebody from uh, Penguin Random House, and, and or I actually haven't met him, but um, um, reached out 
to me and, and asked a, about um, a drawing instruction book. And I kind of thought, there's, you know, what can I say that, that hasn't been said? I don't know if I, if I have said that, but I feel like there's a lot of um, competent artists who are pretty good, but not like, um, you know, to, to take your work to the next level of uh, liveliness and energy and kind of like that implication of effortlessness to, to your work and, and a freshness. I think that's hard, really hard to get once you've got the basics down. And I don't know if there's any books that kind of focus on that and specifically with, with ink because um, that's what I like using. is It's great for a comic uh, artists and, and fans. Uh, and I really find that drawing with ink without having pencil sketches and everything um, really helped me get better faster. So nice. that's what I wanted to talk about in, in this book. How right. to, how to um, take your drawing um, to, the, to the next level and not, I mean, being more lively and fresh. Right. Yeah. So how do you do it? It's draw people every day. Like literally, should I be going home and drawing some people? Well, yeah. Um, if you want to get better at drawing, of course. Uh, I mean, I like drawing figurative stuff. Um, and, you know, there's no, there's no real secrets. I mean, I just kind of describe my techniques. And on, honestly, it's it is practicing yeah, all the time sure. and getting familiar with the, with the stuff. If you read Infinite Kung Fu, you can see um, my progression over the years because in the beginning of the book, I'm inking and I'm not quite confident. Um, it's a little chunky and, um, you know, frankly, not as good. And then towards the end of the book, um, I, I know what the brush is going to do, what, excuse me, um, ink load uh, is good for what, lines and uh, the, the artwork in the end of the book is better than in the beginning definitely it gets a little wispier and a little more ancient looking and yeah. yeah so i um and you know that's a lot of work to go through to uh to discover that but uh, honestly it's it's so fun mm -hmm. uh you have to have uh be hooked on it to to improve and uh, you have to want to um improve and um like anything playing guitar or something like that you have to do it all the time um and i find it fun so that's why i i do it all the time so what made you start the life drawing class what made you become well, same, a dude running a, well a i have I, I when i after I, I moved to the east end of town leslieville i guess river side you, so. you live you live close to me i live in the distillery oh we, yeah we should we should hang yeah, out more, you should come and draw yeah um, on Monday nights, um, I, so I have a studio in, in, by the Queen in, in Broadview, and um, I've got the space, so I thought I should run life drawing, and it's not a class, I'm not teaching anything, but no. people come, and uh, a lot of comic artists uh, come, and uh, I uh, DJ, which is my favorite thing to do, I'm I mean, not, not DJing, but I pick the, uh, the music, and... Um, we chat a little bit, and I get to see other artists, and we all practice. That's awesome. Yeah, it's fun. It's are really there fun. are there rules? Like, I'm not an artist, so if I went to the life drawing class, I mean, I I probably wouldn't be as good as some of the people that are there. Uh, so if you're going to like a life drawing class for the first time, what do you what do you need to know about about the environment and how to 
don't how to be respectful and yeah and that sort of don't thing. touch the model okay <laughs> that's number one <laughs> um uh no you don't a lot of people are bashful about um you know sh it's not like you're gonna have to show your artwork to everyone at the end you can it's kind of a private thing you don't you can you can show it to other people if you want but uh um nobody's there to um really to, to give or get feedback unsolicited um you sort of in, have to invite it yeah i no, i guess you could if you wanted to yeah, yeah what do you think yeah. of this sort of thing sure sure yeah. but but you know it's kind of a social thing too so i, I actually i've been, been talking to um the folks at the beguiling because they have uh the space now about running a life drawing session uh, in the middle store uh, or the the middle room in this in the store yeah and uh and i think that would be fun to get a kind of a, a different crowd out and um you know get comic artists uh drawing together like they do at the uh, society of illustrators in new york in front of an audience or just whoever wants to can draw whoever wants to can draw yeah okay uh, so I, I think that's going to be starting up in, in, in the fall. Wow. And then you're still going to run the stuff in, uh, on Broadview? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Awesome. Uh, how do you find the people that the artists are drawing? They, uh, well, there's a lot of people who do it full time. Um, and there's a Facebook group that has a lot of, um, people looking for work and artists, uh, looking for artists to draw with. So we kind of connect that way. Um, yeah, and then it, it's uh, it's great. Everyone, they, they know what they're doing, and the best ones uh, um, do it often because it's uh, not really like you can just get up and and uh, be interesting. There's 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 a, an art to it, to posing. Do you have to... Do you have to I wouldn't do it. Yeah, that's kind of <laughs> interesting. I, I know that, like, Seth met his wife at a life drawing class, I heard. Oh. So that, that's an interesting story. I think she was the model. I'm not sure. Uh, but but that's an interesting story that's kind of connected. Uh, if I want to attend, do I have to pay? Um, yeah, it's 10 bucks to, uh, you know, share the cost of the, the model. Right. Okay, yeah. cool. And, uh, yeah, that's awesome. And you just bring, like, whatever tools you want or that sort of thing? Yeah. Um, my space is uh, not quite set up for, you know, big classic newsprint and easel. Um, uh, so it's best to work kind of lap size if you, if you have to. Um, but uh, usually there's enough room for... Uh, and what do you get out of it? Like, what do you get out of the people that are there? What have you noticed about the people that attend regularly? Uh, have people gotten better? Like, what's, what do you, do you get a charge out of having people in your studio drawing? I do. Yeah. Uh, I get practice. Uh, a lot of times, uh, you know, as a professional artist, I'm not really drawing for leisure uh, as much um, so this is kind of like a block to do personal work even if it's just practice work mm. um, uh, like I said about college when when you um, you know you leave that community uh, it's hard to kind of have a 
network of other artists to, you know, get inspired by and things like that. So it's good uh, in that respect. And to just uh, chat with people because uh, now now I work alone. Uh, it's good to, to see other artists uh, and have an excuse to um, see them uh, just for the social aspect. Has, like, I don't know, I'm, I'm like a non-artist, but it has like a... A non-artist or a schlub like me showed up at the at the uh, drawing class before and like, you know, gotten better and better and better and better and 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 decided to like be an artist kind of thing. Have you have you seen any transformations? I guess is the question. Sure. Yeah, I've seen lots of transformations. I mean, um, and yeah, like anything, if you just keep doing it, it'll it you will get better. Um, and I still do lots of drawings that I hate. And, and, and so I think I talk about in the book how I, I feel like I have about a 40% personal success rate. I think I hate 60% of the stuff I do. Um, you know, and I think that's good to be hard on yourself and, uh, you know, kind of aim a little higher than your abilities are. Yeah. And that helps you uh, get, get a little better. Yeah. As long as it doesn't like veer into like the really self-conscious to the point where you can't get anything done but yeah 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 and that's why i i like to do lots of fast drawings because i want to have lively fresh look and if i screw one up it's uh you know it's not that big of a write-off if if i've spent two or three hours on a drawing and it and it's no good that's more of a, a a loss i think yeah does that make sense yeah totally so I guess my final question is, if I go to, if I pick up your book and I learn to draw from the book, or if I go to the drawing class, which one is better? Do, can I become as good at drawing if I just read the book, or do no. I have to actually go to the class? <laughs> <laughs> um, like, uh, yeah, I, I guess I, I didn't really. Right, it's it's advanced. The book is advanced in that, like, it's nothing really foundational. It's kind of like um, stuff about, you know, how I approach it to try and, you know, take it your competent drawing to the next level. So it would be hard to to learn from scratch from the book, I think. But of course, definitely buy it if you like looking at uh, my pictures and um, uh, and you can even learn from. Um, you know, things that you, you, know, you t give and take uh, pieces that, that, that you like and don't like. Yeah. But I, I guess even if you're not a good drawer, you can be like an illustration theory geek. Like you really like the idea of the technique and that sort of stuff. Sure. Yeah. I, yeah. and I'm not like that at all. I don't, I don't like to, uh, read a lot of theory and, um, uh, you know, work from instinct a lot of the time. I know, I know, a lot of make I make a lot of mistakes, um, and maybe some theory would help. But um, uh, I just uh, prefer to kind of get in and, and discover for my myself. So was it hard to put it was what you do to <laughs> to words? Yes. Okay. Yes, uh, but I feel actually more equipped to explain it now that I have had to put it into words and I'm teaching at Sheridan in the fall drawing and painting for the first time. No, but I feel like I'll be better at, at teaching it that now this year than I would have last year because I've, I've formulated my, uh, kind of, uh, 
philosophy, I guess. How long did it take you to sort of figure out the philosophy? Mm, well, less than a year. I mean, okay. not. I mean, that's in terms of writing the book. I don't know about figuring out the philosophy. That's that's a, a long putting it to paper. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The book to paper. Yeah, uh, yeah, your philosophy to paper. Oh well, I, I had maybe ten months to do the book. So nice. <laughs> cool, awesome, man. Well, I'm looking forward to it because I wanna I wanna know the secret sauce. Uh, but uh, hey, 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 one more thing. I don't yeah, know, sure. I don't know if, if you were gonna ask, but uh, the something else uh, a job that I recently took um, because I, um, yeah, I do want to get back into comics because you do. because of. Uh, um, you know, the, like I said, newspapers and magazines aren't the same. I've done it for so long. I do want to connect with uh, more more story um, telling stuff. Um, and it's hard to do your own. So I, I did t- take a little job um, doing Cobra Kai comic for wow. IDW. Based on the YouTube, or based on the Karate Kid, which is based on the YouTube sequel Cobra yes, Kai. Yes, yes. So IDW um, owns Top Shelf now, which um, published Infinite Kung Fu. So so they reached out to me. Um, and, you know, I didn't want to do another martial arts one because I wanted to, you know, branch out and do something else. But uh, just the timing seemed right. and um, uh, It's what you're known for. It's kind of your calling card. Yeah. I don't want to get pigeonholed, but, I, well, I'm, I guess I am. But um, the uh, 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 book will be... Four issues coming out in the fall. Wow, that's awesome. Thank you for breaking news right on here. <laughs> uh, if people want to know closer to the date when it comes out, how can they follow you on social media? Um, I am at Kagan McLeod, K-A-G-A-N-M-C-L-E-O-D, on, uh, on everything. And if they want to sign up for your class, how do they do that? Uh, I have a secret um group on facebook because just because i don't have enough room for um uh, uh um you know i don't want it to get crowded so it's just for space but if you message me i can put you on the list all right so uh all you aspiring illustrators uh get on the list and uh, look out for cobra kai in the fall and uh, it's been a pleasure to have you kagan uh, we've been talking to kagan mcleod And we'll see you next time on Speech Bubble. Thank you. That was great. This has been Speech Bubble. See you in the future, friends. Never Sleeps Network. This has been a Never Sleeps Network production, executive produced by Alex Ross. For more information and content, visit NeverSleepsNetwork.com. Speech Bubble on Never Sleeps Network is hosted by me, Aaron Broverman, and features audio editing from Armin Zoberi. It has announcements by Craig Mayhem and Sean Ward, with graphical assistance by Brittany Tice.